Over the last week or so, the news from the economy has been getting worse by the day. The global recession is deepening, commodity prices are plummeting, unemployment is on the rise. It now appears it's not a question of whether 2009 will be worse than last year, but by how much, and what can be done to limit the fallout. Business reporter Nadine Chalmers Ross has been looking at the economist's prospects. The federal government plans to pump billions and billions of dollars into Citigroup as a way to shore up the ailing financial giant. Numbers on the markets today. At one point, the market fell as if down a well, over 700 points. And with consumer spending falling to a 28-year low, the U.S. government is hoping a new initiative will make it easier for consumers to get a credit card. The billions lost to Lehman Brothers during the collapse of the American subprime mortgage market took its toll last night. By now we're all familiar with the gloomy headlines containing ominous-sounding phrases like credit crunch and subprime crisis. But what do they mean for New Zealand and its prospects for this year and beyond? While the financial crisis in the UK and America appears to be rapidly deepening, there's still hope that New Zealand will ride out the worst of it. Consumer confidence has taken a hit, but remains positive for the moment. However, it's clear some people are already facing the reality of tougher times. Ross Blake was made redundant from his job in the printing industry just before Christmas. There's a um, credit card statement. <laughs> Another credit card statement. Uh, power bill. Farmer's card. Require purchase on TVs. Um, the majority of the um, HPs and things are coming out automatic payments out of the bank account and chewing up the redundancy money real fast to the extent that it's almost gone actually. Pretty much not spending any money at all, even down to the fact of not spending much on food. Um, well, what I've got on there is butter <laughs> that's empty. Eggs. Well, there's some lollies in there because my sister works in a lolly factory. <laughs> she gave me those. Um, that's about it, really. In the freezer, it is absolutely nothing except for a whole lot of crayfish, which I get when I go diving, which I haven't been diving for a long time. The prospect of getting another job in printing is slim, and with government assistance still some months away, Ross says the future looks grim real tough and getting worse and worse um, because I was in a reasonably high paid job um, as we all do we live up to our um, income a little bit so I've got a lot of debts that are going out what I've been told I can get from wins um, I can't get until April which is five months after the fact of being made redundant and um, the total amount that they're going to give me is less than what I pay on rent um, I've been paying really high taxes all my life and now it comes to the time when I need some help and basically told can't have any. So, you know, so it's, something's not right. Um, within the next few weeks, I'm not too sure what's going to happen because all the redundancy money's going to be gone and the bills are still going to be there. And the myriad of gloomy headlines do nothing to bolster his confidence. It's pretty scary. I mean, pretty much every time you turn on the TV or open a newspaper, you hear about another quite often large firm going under and, you know, a lot of jobs going. So that's a lot more people out there looking for jobs. 
Figures on the number of redundancies since the recession began are hard to come by, but one unofficial reading estimates there were just over 2,000 between the general election in early November and Christmas. The unemployment rate rose from 39 to 4.2% in the September quarter, while the December reading is due out later this week. Hard though it is for the individual out of work, it's a relatively small number when compared to the 70,000 redundancies over two years budgeted for in the government's restart package. And that's perhaps why some continue to feel optimistic. My name's Mark Nelson, I own a store in Taradale called Taradale Quality Meats, where we predominantly uh, retail meat retailers with a probably 30% of our business wholesale to uh, restaurants and cafes and supermarkets. The numbers tell the story, 9% up for December. Uh, the restaurant business, that the wholesale side of it is still very solid, they're going well. Hey, my numbers are up, my holidays are booked, my new car's coming next week. Um, no, I've got no problem with it. No problem whatsoever. But that sort of confidence could become a rare commodity if unemployment forecasts come to fruition. The Treasury now acknowledges that unemployment is likely to be in line with the worst-case scenario from its December update to the government. That is, an unemployment rate of 7% by 2010, which amounts to around 156,000 people out of work. The chief economist at Westpac, Brendan O'Donovan, says 50,000 jobs could go in the first half of this year alone, and unlike last year, finding a new job will be very difficult. Firms are under enormous profit pressure. They're faced with extremely uncertain environment. They've got flat to negative sales for most, and we're thinking that they're going to be responding with deferring investments and job cuts. Uh, the quarterly survey of business opinion that came out suggested that a third of firms are planning job cuts and that was just a horrendous survey. That's painting a picture that firms are going to be proactive trying to get on top of their costs but the problem is what makes sense for an individual firm and that's to get on top of their costs, retrench a bit, when we do it collectively it guarantees a really bad outcome and that's shaping up what's going to be in store for us in the first half of this year. By and large, those that lost their jobs last year were able to find other jobs. It's going to be a quite a different uh, situation this year. Those that lose their jobs will be struggling to, to find new employment. But Brendan O'Donovan says those with secure employment are probably feeling better off than they were last year. For those with a job, the coming year will probably feel better than last year because last year was a massive cost shock from interest rates and petrol and the like on the household sector. That stuff's unwinding, so if you've got a job, your cash flow situation will actually be a lot better. While the history books will eventually indicate one protracted recession, Brendan O'Donovan believes it's more like two separate recessions. Last year, rising fuel and food prices, drought and high interest rates prompted a domestic recession. But this year, many of those pressures have abated and the global downturn and difficulty accessing credit are top of mind. That disparity is plain to see when looking at the fortunes of a fairly average Kiwi family. Hi, I'm Larrick. Um, I, I work for the uh, local council as a health officer. And I'm Rachel and I work part-time for the local Polytech. And we have two children, Valley and Otis, and they are nine and a half and seven and a half. We really noticed the petrol. Yeah, we did. I cycled to work. Yeah, it was, it's nice that the prices come down. It was a big impact on the... Yeah. It was a, especially because you'd stand there and fill the car up and it would be 
going up $80, $90 because you'd run it right down to low and it was that was a lot of money to be coming out when that could have been the power bill or something yeah. else. They also noticed higher food prices at the checkout and decided to do what they could to help offset that. And this is the veggies. It's very productive. We get uh, beans, silver beet, bok choy, save a bit of money, you know. While Rachel and Lerick feel pretty secure in their jobs and dairy and petrol prices have eased, retailers are already noticing that shoppers are spending less. Kakuldi and Staines is Wellington's upmarket department store in existence since 1863. But even here, sales have been hit, and Managing Director John Milford says he can't see the situation improving in the near future. Fundamentally, there's a confidence issue. People don't know whether they're going to have jobs. Um, you know, all of these things have got to be worked through, and it's almost got to reach rock bottom before people start getting confidence going forward. And as I say, whether that's 12 or 18 months, I think it's going to be tough for retailing in that time. John Milford says retailers will have to work very hard to weather the storm, and consequently every aspect of the business is under review. We're reviewing our trading hours, we're reviewing how we do business constantly, um, and what I mean by that, what we stock, you know, how we promote it, how we market our business. We're looking at every dollar we spend, can we spend that differently, can we get better value for money. From a recruitment point of view, um, we're not recruiting at the moment, we're not actively in the market recruiting. Having said that, you know, the one thing that will be the last thing we do is do anything that impacts on the service that we give the customers, because that goes back to that's one of the brand values. This business has been around 145 years. It's seen many recessions, many wars, all of that stuff. But retailing's always about reacting on a day-by-day -day basis to how much you took yesterday. Count the money in the till and you know what you've got to do the next day, really. A different attitude comes through from the lobby group that represents many shops. The Retailers Association appears to have an unfailing reserve of optimism about the current downturn. Its chief executive John Albertson says while the first six months of this year are likely to be tough, there is a bright light on the horizon in the form of further tax cuts due in April. What we need is cash back into the economy to keep the cash turning around and certainly those tax cuts are going to be very significant for retail. But given the uncertain times that we're in, there obviously is a chance that taxpayers are going to save that and not spend it. That must be of concern. Yeah, there's always that chance, obviously. Um, and I suppose a saving economy, some would argue, for the long term is probably better than a spending economy. When it comes to retail spending, it's probably more about attitude and state of mind than it is about dollars in the, in the wallet. If people feel confident, they're more likely to spend than if they feel concerned. I think once we start to see a bit of tax coming back into people's pockets, whether they save it or spend it, they feel better. And if they've also had a bit of a reduction in their interest repayments, they feel better. And it's all those things combined is what will get the consumer through. And what gets the consumer through will obviously get the retailer through. However, what Rachel and Lerick did with their tax cuts in October is unlikely to ease the fears of retailers. Yeah, well, I took a hard line on that, and I was like, mortgage... I just want it to be, I read somewhere that if you put a little bit more on it, it saves a lot of time in mortgage repayments, so we put it on the mortgage, on regular payments, increased it by um, $50 a fortnight. <laughs> um, and that's taken five years off my mortgage. And so would you be looking to do the same with the other tax cuts due in April? 
yeah, I'll have to talk to Rachel about that, but um, yeah, I'd like to. While the Retailers Association remains positive, a broader survey of companies, including retailers, is far less comforting. The Institute of Economic Research's report shows firms haven't been so pessimistic about their own prospects since the early 1970s. One of the sectors that has been particularly hard hit is manufacturing. My name is Bob Fennick. My company is Plant Horse Systems. We've been in business for 25 years and we um, manufacture a filing control system for the construction and architectural industries, um, which we um, export to 60-odd countries. Now, New Zealand exporters as a whole are worried, extremely worried about the, uh, the offshore markets that they export into and over which, of course, they have no control, whether it's their price or their quality or their product. Um, if, the, if the buyers disappear from the market completely for a while, uh, there's nothing the New Zealand exporter can do about it. Bob Fenwick says while it's inevitable some firms will go under, some of the failures thus far could have been avoided. We have seen the demise of Mountain Buggy Company in Wellington. Uh, which had a worldwide reputation and had built up a very, very good export market on their products. We also had leisure right spa pools here in Auckland. If you look at what has been published about that, uh, it gives you the impression that it's only a few million dollars that they needed, but obviously their bankers weren't prepared to provide it. This is where the government should be being proactive, and they should either lean on the banks or they should do what they're doing in the United States and either provide the 2 or $3 million necessary themselves and take shares in the business, or they should put a guarantee up with the bankers. Even more important to the country's economy than manufacturing is the dairy sector. But where dairy farmers last season benefited from the commodity boom, this season the forecast payout has seen a hefty cut. Lachlan McKenzie farms 600 cows near Rotorua and is the dairy spokesperson for Federated Farmers. He says the severity of the fall took many by surprise and while he expects the milk price to drop further, he also believes it won't be long before it heads back up. There is some ray of hope that we're starting to get to the bottom of the commodity cycle. There is some uh, evidence there that the bounce back could be almost as rapid as the fall. It makes it very, very volatile. It makes for bank managers nervous because they they have some very good payouts. The problem we have is that in the very good payouts, then everybody else's costs escalate, and then when the payouts go down, we can't take, take those costs out of the system again. Falling commodity prices aren't the only thing farmers have to worry about. Recent moves by the European Union to revive export subsidies have already sparked fears in the dairy sector. The co-founder of Seven Investment in the United Kingdom, Justin Urquhart-Stewart, says the G20, which is a forum of the world's 20 biggest economies, needs to ensure protectionism is avoided. As soon as people start putting up barriers against food being imported because it's too expensive or protecting domestic areas um, or in terms of other minerals and other areas uh, and production, then you'll start seeing global trade slowing down. You see the end of globalisation and uh, we find ourselves going into a protracted slump. Another important sector for New Zealand is tourism. 
The economies of the country's main tourism markets, Australia, the UK, US and Asia, are among those in a downward spiral, and tourist arrivals are already reflecting that. Tourism New Zealand says a drop in the number of visitors from Asia in particular could cost the economy about a billion dollars. I joined a tour with Gannett Safaris in Hawke's Bay to find out how it's faring. So we come round the pinnacle off the end of the Cape and are way down below us on the beach, the newest of the colonies. They've been nesting down there, as I say, for about 20 odd years. Well, after a slightly hair-raising journey, we've just arrived at our destination. I'm standing here atop Cape Kidnappers at the Gannett Colony, and what you can hear in the background is around 20,000 gannets feeding and nesting. It's here that Gannett Safaris has been bringing tourists for more than 30 years. Numbers so far this season are down, but my tour guide Michael Nielsen remains cautiously optimistic. Uh, this season would be a bit slow compared to others. We're 20% down in numbers uh, in December from the previous December, and I think that'll probably maintain right through the season. Michael Nielsen is reserving his judgment on what the year might hold for the business. As he says, in the past, dire forecasts haven't come to pass. Particularly with um, SARS and... 9-11 we were told to be prepared for a 25% decrease. We actually went 25% in the other direction. We were told that's because all our customers had pre-booked. So we thought, right, the following year it's going to crash. It didn't. It went 20% higher again. But caution was definitely the thing. You'd be silly, I think, with all the business that's been going on to say, oh, it's going to be no problem, we're going to carry on as normal, because we're not. New Zealand's largest publicly listed tourism company, Tourism Holdings, has so far seen a decline of 9 to 13% across its rental and attraction businesses in New Zealand and Australia. Its chief executive, Grant Webster, says while it's deferred its offshore investment plans, it's still spending $10 million on upgrading its visitor centre at Waitomo Caves in Waikato. He says while operators will inevitably cut back on investment, it's important that they don't abandon it completely, and the government has a role to play in that. Whatever the government can do to assist the industry to take a, a similar approach and to, to be confident that they can either continue to invest in their core infrastructure or new developments will, will make a difference. Tax breaks around capital expenditure, um, understanding what depreci depreciation rates are used and how that may be able to be changed with tax benefits for companies. And don't forget we are getting very, very close to the Rugby World Cup in 2011 where we are on stage to the world. Commodity prices, consumer demand, tourism. New Zealand's fortunes are, of course, inextricably linked to the global economy. So what is the prognosis internationally? Government bailouts and stimulus packages with billion-dollar price tags attached are in the news every other day. But are they the key to recovery? And if so, are they working yet? The co-founder of Seven Investment Management in the United Kingdom, Justin Urquhart-Stewart, says for the global economy to begin to recover, confidence needs to be restored and the financial system re-stabilised. 
He says to achieve that, further bailouts may be required. What we have to do internationally, first of all, is get the banking system working properly. You may not like the banks very much, but I'm afraid if you believe in capitalism, that's what you need to get right first. People blame the banks for not lending uh, around the world. Well, they're not going to lend if they feel that there's a recession coming and they're not going to get their money back. Therefore, you're going to see further government intervention by way of actually either taking investment support directly into the banks or actually more preferably providing bank guarantees for loans for partial uh, part or all of the loans. That's a much more cost-effective way to try and operate. And we'll actually get the banks start lending. And if you start them lending, then you start seeing the, uh, the flow of money to begin to come through. I think we're about a year or so away from seeing the first green shoots. But Peter Schiff, the president of the investment brokerage firm Euro-Pacific Capital in the United States, couldn't disagree more that bailouts and government spending are the way to fix the crisis. He says market forces should be allowed to operate and the likes of financial giants and US carmakers left to fail. Before that view's dismissed because it's the result of an unshakable faith in capitalism, have a listen to him being interviewed on Fox News in 2006. What's going to happen in 2007 is a lot of these artificially low arm payments are going to re be reset upward. You're going to start to see uh, both the government and the lenders <coughs> reimposing lending standards and tightening up on credit. And you're going to see a lot of the speculative buyers turn into sellers. And these sky-high real estate prices are going to come crashing back down to earth. I, I, first of all, I have no idea what Peter Schiff is talking about. I agree with Tom. I think they're going to be up, probably up to about 10 percent. What artificial lending standard are you talking about? That's just one of the many examples where Peter Schiff was scoffed at by his peers when he was in fact accurately predicting the current crisis. Speaking to me from New York, he says he's still being laughed at for his views on how to fix it, or more accurately, how not to. We need higher interest rates, not lower interest rates, right? We need sound money. We need smaller government, not bigger government. We need less regulation, not more regulation. Uh, you know, so we need to do the exact opposite, right? We need consumers to stop spending and start saving. We need more production. We don't need more consumption. That's the last thing we need is more consumption. But that's exactly what the U.S. government, through its policies, is trying to, trying to promote. But the U.S. wouldn't be alone in that. I mean, the U.K., the Eurozone, New Zealand have lowered interest rates, cut taxes, are working on stimulus packages. So you're saying we're, we've, we're all going about it in yes. the opposite way to what we should be. Yeah, everybody is following our lead. And, of course, we're leading everybody down the path to economic ruin. And I think countries have to buck the trend. They have to understand that a recession is not the worst thing that can happen that there are things that are far worse, and in fact, that's exactly what's going to happen to the nations that buy into this nonsense and that try uh, to stimulate their way out of recession by irresponsibly cutting uh, interest rates and ramping up deficit spending. Uh, you know, they're trading off uh, some type of short-term benefit for major long-term damage. But Peter Schiff's view is not one widely heard internationally, let alone here in New Zealand. Mark Weldon, the chief executive of the New Zealand Stock Exchange, has been vocal about what the government should be doing to ensure the economy emerges from the crisis as best it can. Clearly, he too believes in the principles of the free market, but also that the government has a role to play. I don't think in a period like this where you have the risk of deflation, you can get out of it successfully or as well as you would unless the Reserve Bank monetary policy and interest rate settings are pretty aggressive and unless the government really does accelerate some of its programs forward. 
The pace and severity of the downturn overseas is yet to be reflected in the situation here. The United States, Britain and Europe have seen sharp falls in house prices, plummeting consumer confidence and rapidly rising unemployment. Dr Ian Hunter, a business historian from the University of Auckland, says history indicates the worst is yet to reach New Zealand shores. In 1929, Wall Street collapsed and within a week, uh, Wall Street had lost more money than the US economy spent on its entire effort in the First World War. But it took really 12 months before those tremors actually hit New Zealand shores. We had a great year. We had a great year in 1929. But by 1930... Export earnings in New Zealand were down 20%. They took another hit the following year and they dropped another 20%, which means within two years our export earnings were almost half what they were. In terms of the recession, you, we're, just, we're just starting out. This is, not, um, this is not us in the midst of the storm. This is not us halfway through. This is us where the UK or the United States were. 12 months ago. It takes time for forward contracts to be cancelled. It takes time for um, orders, next season's orders to be changed, for those true effects to filter their way 12,000 miles across the globe. It's a grim prognosis, and despite a couple of optimists, the outlook for 2009 doesn't look good. But is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Are there any gains to be made from the tough times? For those with a bit of cash to spare, John Milford from Kukaldi and Staines believes there's a chance of a bargain. We've got to be realistic. The deals have got to be better in the sale for the customers because they'll expect that. No, we're not going to go into more sales, but the sales that we do have, which are two a year, will be bigger and better than we've had before. And for investors game enough, the head of the New Zealand Stock Exchange, Mark Weldon, believes the New Zealand share market, which fell 34% last year, may be on the road to recovery. New Zealand has been in a recession now for 12 months, likely to be in one for another 9, uh, 12 or so. So roughly you would expect, if we follow historical patterns, you would expect to see equity markets start to recover somewhere in the first quarter, second quarter. But it will be a game of tennis, really, between low equity values that people look at and go, oh, I should buy that, that's starting to get cheap, it's got a really high dividend yield. And uh, the fear factor of, oh, this has been pretty bad, what if it stays bad? Business historian Ian Hunter also says often the most innovative ideas are born in tumultuous times. One of the great stories I like from our past is that of James Watty. You know, there's a young man walking through the fruit-growing regions of the Hawke's Bay in the mid middle of the world's worst depression. And he's walking amongst rotting fruit on the ground. Nobody's going to pay the pickers to pick it because there's just no money in it. What he doesn't see selling fruit, he sees canning rotting fruit and starts an enterprise that grows and grows and grows in the midst of difficulties. While it may be of cold comfort to those feeling the recession, Brendan O'Donovan says in some ways it's a necessary evil. When the good times roll too long, firms tend to get fat and lazy. When the tough times come, I call it the sort of liposuction phase. You've got to tidy yourself up a whole lot. So it is a time when firms are forced to look at every aspect of their business and make sure that it's as strong as it can be. And so those firms that survive this sort of environment, when they're the sun inevitably rises and the economic times are better, they make good hay for a while because there will be fewer competitors and they're actually in a, a much better position as a business because they've looked at every aspect of that business and, and got it sorted out. Uh, so you, you never want to let a good crisis go to waste.
The government says it expects the economy to stand still this year and later this month will detail what it plans to do to help firms survive and keep people in jobs. But it's been keen to stress people shouldn't expect a silver bullet. That programme was written and presented by Nadine Chalmers-Ross. Additional material was collected by Matthew Farrell and Guani Lu, and technical production was by Chris Adams. Insights executive producer is Sue Ingram.